0: Welcome to the Philosophy of Now podcast from Roots Media. In this podcast, we speak with thought leaders about their philosophy on life that doesn't merely define them in their past or doesn't come for their ambitions in the future, but is their life mantra at every moment ever present in their now. So join us on a journey of questions and deep thought that ultimately lead to one question that truly matters. What is their philosophy of now? in the process of listening maybe we will introspect and we will meditate or even stumble upon our own today we learn from puja bhale an environmentalist ecology warrior and social activist all these words still don't do justice to what she is because at heart she is a free spirit she's the founder of the protector ecological foundation dedicated to creating a global society that respects nature, practices sustainability, and comes together in solidarity for nature. The mission believes that people will only do as much as they are aware of and the work aims to increase this level of awareness to enable action. Her main work is with her nonprofit, The Farm based on the outskirts of Pune. It's a space where one can feel oneness with nature and gives them the opportunity to see this life based on the philosophy of spiritual ecology. It brings a human being closer to nature while leading workshops on spiritual healing, animal healing, wildlife exposure, yoga, and meditation. While she came from a very well-off upbringing, Balin left the glam for a minimalist life with her animals, her farm, this initiative, and a tent where she lives. We speak to Pujaji about her journey into this initiative, the courage it took her to leave it all, her mission to love all, the importance of spirituality and her own philosophy when it comes to leading this life. And of course, we learn her life mantra, her philosophy of now. So without further ado, let's listen, learn and reflect together.
1: So, uh, thank you for joining me on the Philosophy of Now podcast.
2: Thank you for having me between between scheduling different time zones and actually arriving now <laughs> to do this together.
1: Absolutely. So let's get right into it. Uh, we I we really like to understand a person's I- inner journey in a way that it can inspire any listener or reader. So, could you describe how? Uh, you really got into um, sustainable living, ecology uh, from your upbringing, through your education, through your foreign studies, what what really inspired you to move in that direction?
2: I think there can be a very long answer to this. And uh, I'll take my liberty with diving in and out rather than keeping to a timeline about this. But I'd like to believe that I have been brought up in a a very, um, you know, like my, I come from a privileged family where we kids have been given the best life possible. You know, our parents have shown us the world. We, have, we are all internationally traveled as siblings, not just for studies later. But, you know, there was always at least one international holiday growing up. There was cars in the house and so on. So, you know, there was never a case of uh, we, we had to live in a frugal manner at all. However, we were always taught to respect what we have. You know, so throughout the summer, I think our mom spent a lot of time telling us that we will pick up our own plates, which in an Indian setup, uh, when you have people at your beck and call to bring you everything is not something necessarily taught, to be honest, you know, Uh, to the Western world, this might be what, you know, you don't pick your own dish up and you don't wash your own plates. But in India, it's so easy to slip into complacency. But our parents brought us up and especially, you know, uh, gave us a lot of reasons to clean up after ourselves. Uh, To make sure that we kept our things well, that we cleaned our own cupboards, that we, we were not spoon fed a lot of these things. So that in itself gave us appreciation of the fact that, you know, we need to respect what we have. We need to appreciate what we're getting. They knew when to say no. They knew when to, you know, give in. We had to earn a lot of the things that we were asking for to the effect that mom used to give us one rupee when I was in school to iron clothes. per clothing that we ironed during the summer vacations, she used to give us a rupee. And say, you know, that's just fun. It's not like I was going to go and do anything great with that rupee. But it was like, you know, make an effort to do what you're doing. So very young, our parents uh, taught us the respect of things. And uh, my father has had, you know, I remember when he used to sit and sharpen his pencils. And, you know, he used to keep his stationery properly. He used to keep things properly. And I think somewhere these basic systems and habits have translated into respecting everything. And then we were sent outdoors, you know, read outdoor books. So sustainability came at a much later age. But in hindsight, I think all of these concepts of valuing what you have rather than just throwing it away was very ingrained in us as children. And then being a wildlife biologist, having lived in England much later on, you also learn to do a lot of these things yourself. So as a student, there was no question of having having the International Bank of Dad to blow up money, right? It was the case of you have this. So, you know, there's loads of different things that allowed me to really appreciate what I have. And I think that directly translates to then being sustainable. I don't think it's very different from habit.
1: That's very rare when someone comes from a privileged background to have an upbringing or a collection of habits that exemplify an approach of, minimalism to a certain extent where you you don't really you appreciate what you have and you don't um indulge in overconsumption so uh now that that's like the i guess scientific or um lifestyle approach that you were brought up in where did the spirituality come into the picture was it from an upbringing was it from an exposure of your own cuz you you could take as long as you want to describe this because Knowing you, your, your entire intention and approach really has that at the core. So c- could you describe where that came from and how you um, water it?
2: So honestly, uh, I usually answer this in hindsight, but then again, knowing you and knowing where you're coming from, rather than going in in the fact that I have had a spiritual understanding only recently in the last decade or so, I would like to actually believe that even growing up, I was a very different kid. You know, I was always like, I'd, I'd give, you a, give you a fun story. So I have a younger sibling. I have a younger brother and an older sister. And my younger brother and I are very, very close. Like we are close even today and we were close growing up. Um, and I remember that mom sent us to these Malkham and rope classes, you know, gymnastics uh, they see gymnastics sort of classes, and you know she sent us to gymnastics classes. And they told us for the uh, recruitment to get into the class, they said that we have to do a um, flip on the ground. Okay, and uh, my brother went and he checked the mattress properly if it's soft. And he's four years younger than me, and I must have been just about seven odd. So he checked the mattress. He said, "Okay, now this is soft. You know, I can do the tumble here." And I just kind of went on the ground and just like did a tumble in the mud. So I was never this, you know, I was always this extremely wild, extremely free spirited, extremely true child as well. I didn't shy away from speaking my heart and mind. I never uh, shied away from being different. I was always extremely different from girls my age. I preferred playing GI Joes as opposed to, you know, uh, dolls or, uh, you know, playing house. I was always the one climbing trees, getting scraped. I used to proudly show my scars. And I think this In hindsight, when you look at it, is is what spirituality is, right? Being able to live your own truth despite being outcasted. So even as a kid, I know I've always been different. As a teenager, when you come to your trouble years, uh, it was hard. It was hard because I used to get a lot of male appreciation. But I was never your classic girl who would paint her nails and, you know, uh, well like when I went to freshman year at college like when I went to 11th grade which is which is freshman year for us here I went my younger I, I went in my younger brother's raw Wall WWF t-shirt and all the other girls you know had put makeup up for the first time had shown up and I was just like and my friends were like to you would wear something different yara. at least today <laughs> That's you'll get hilarious it. I remember this so well you know so it it, it was uh it was Later, when it became difficult, because being different is not necessarily the easiest thing, right? You know that you're always apart from everything you see around you. So first, it was simple things like this, that I was a tomboy, I was brought a different way, I had different thoughts, like I would be the person, you know, after the 10, after our 10 standard, everyone went to watch a movie, I packed my little bag and went to the forest. And everyone was like, you know, where did she go? Like the first thing I wanted to do when, when I was out of out of school was I need to go to tigers. I need to go into the wild, you know, first holiday I had. So all of these things, I think, are based in spirituality to a large extent. Because I had, I think, the I, nothing ever stopped me from, you know, doing what my heart calls me to do. And to me, spirituality at best is that being able to embody your highest truth irrespective of what judgment you're going to get. It's really not about sitting in meditation, uh, you know, sitting like I struggle. I I am emotionally unstable many, many days of the month, even now. Uh, So I've realized that spirituality is about being able to face that, being able to accept that this is how I am. This is my truth. this This is what I want to do every day of my life. And I think that's where that journey is. It's not necessarily something that's, it's got words now. You know, I can use big words like transcendental and meditative and, you know, yogini. In the last decade. I didn't know them, but I was always really doing that, I think, to some extent.
1: Yeah, it, it's very interesting how some people's journey is one where they had even no idea or intuition about certain things and someone comes to them and explains it to them. And now they're like, wait, maybe I should consider a lifestyle like this. And then there's... the there's another kind of journey like yours where you just have natural side to them. Like the idea that you want to just go into nature and be in the forest um, while everyone wants to go to a party after their graduation is just like this, you know, this subtle, subtle desire of um, as you said, you know, a a spiritual habit. So then in the last 10 years, how would you describe the process of, um, you know, like sharpening this intention? If, if it came later in your life, like what, what exposure reading person, um, group of friends, whatever it may be, how did this, this, you know, intention or newfound, uh, interest sharpen your work?
2: You know, there's a very beautiful saying, Raghav, that goes, uh, people change for two reasons. Either their hearts have been broken or their minds have been opened. And I think I was a classic teenager. I don't remember who said that. Uh, You know, I had a broken heart. You know, I was in love with someone. Uh, It was was not the most uh, conducive of relationships. It was a hard, toxic relationship when I look back at it. And I also came from a from a family that had its fair share of you know anger, a fair share of parental fights and so on. So I think somewhere these things do impact you to a large extent. How much ever we know, we want to brave on and be courageous. They have they have a massive impact. And uh, my first desire to seek help came from the fact that I had a broken heart. You know, it was so crushed that I wanted to go and go and seek help. And I never went to, um, you know, traditional therapy. Like mom did send me to a counselor at one point, uh, more so because of the parental arguments that used to happen at home. However, my first instance was, I want to go, uh, like my first, first actual practice was Reiki. I went and did a level one Reiki course and then the floodgates just opened you know, the moment, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe, they say, right? The moment I got into one kind of spiritual practice, so to say, the floodgates just open from everything from uh, Reiki practice to vipassana to, uh, you know, pranic healing, the when the student is ready, the masters appear. And the next part of that, which people don't know is when the student is truly ready, the masters disappear, you know, and that's where I think I am to a, to a large extent that, you know, right now I don't feel like seeking guidance from anyone or anything. I want to do this on my own, as opposed to about, about eight or nine years ago, I was in every course I could take. I was in every, you know, session that I could handle. Like I used to go to all these places, to these gurus, uh, read a lot. Nowadays I don't do as much of that. Nowadays I want to sit and witness and observe. I don't feel like going and asking someone for that support so I think you know a lot of this is a lot of juggle with how like you said how you sharpen it or uh, for me more than sharpening it is how much you understand and I think age plays a huge role right it keeps throwing curveballs at you life you just you you learn to respond differently and that is the biggest teaching of spirituality the old puja who was a teenager if somebody spoke to me wrongly I'd throw a punch at their face uh, you know, people don't believe I was as violent as I, I was as a teenager. You know, there's so much anger, and I feel that anger come up many times now. I i even have it, you know, if things are going out of control, I lose it, I flip out. So it's it's not like I am this, you know, Guruji business who'll sit with her hands folded and everything is calm. Man, shit came in the roof for me so often. And that's where the spiritual spiritual sharpening happens. That how can I respond to this differently the next time? What is this doing to me today? How can I come back to this? That understanding of, you know, how can I keep, you know, changing this pattern that limits me is is really the true learning, I think, to a large extent. Yeah. And living on a farm, I get that every day. Like today I've been breaking houses, for example, my staff, like, you know, the the organization staff is finally getting renovated houses after a decade. So it's a Herculean task, like it's colossal. Because they don't have homes to live in. Or the sky is overcast. Everything's broken down. And I have five days to rebuild it. But when you stand there, and the fact that you can stand in the eye of the storm and, you know, still be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you realize that the, the light is not where you want to get. The tunnel is the fun. You know, I think this is what I've, I've learned every day.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's quite beautiful what you said about the master as well. But, you know... It's so often easy to kid yourself into thinking that a spiritual practice or a contemplative worldview is one that uses maybe esoteric uh, verbiage and um, exclusivist uh, definitions and such. But it's almost like the day-to-day understanding of where my suffering lies and how, you know, addressing it and slowly... Turning my eyes inward to eradicate that suffering in the most menial little tasks or responsibilities of daily life. That's really where the crux of the work happens. It's not, you know, it's not as um, maybe grandiose of a, you know, like like lecture or experience all the time. Um,
2: Absolutely. You know, I remember seeing an image where there's this cartoon character of you know opening a flip knife and and he's it's it's like he's shutting the flip knife and above the meme basically says when you want to resort to your old ways but you're walking the spiritual path now and that's classically me raghav it's like it's like me written all That's over. amazing. I keep, sh- I keep sharing it on my instagram like I, I just want to like you know lose it and sometimes i just allow myself to and then then the beauty is you don't you shouldn't beat yourself up about the fact that you want the best person you could have been on your good days, you're able to tackle this better, but you're having a bad day and you flipped out and you shouted at someone and you were, you, you, you were, an, you were an ass to someone and it's, forgive yourself for it. I've struggled with that one, Raghav, very honestly. You know, I have i am my biggest critic. I'm very hard on myself. So, you know, all these little, little things where you realize, you know what? It's okay, Pooj. Take care, you flipped out. You said something you didn't really mean. You didn't want to say it, but it's all right. Can you do it better the next time? I think that's, that's the battle, really.
1: Absolutely. Uh, shifting back to that privilege or, you know, like upbringing that you described. You know, what you've done takes so much uh, courage, I would say, that you really left a potential life of luxury privilege to live like you do. Um, at Protectora and with the animals and teaching what you do and holding classes with your staff and such, can you describe the struggles, internal and external, that you faced when starting this journey, if you're comfortable doing that? Um, So...
2: Honestly, a lot of people ask me this question even when they visit the farm. And I live, I live in this tent at, on a farm. Again, from that same privilege, I have access to this land, right? Uh, family bought it many, many years ago. I asked whether I could do something with it so I don't have to pay rent to have a piece of land. A lot of people dream of these things, but they don't get access to it. It's been lying in the family and I, I took it and I um, decided to do something with this piece of land. A lot of people ask me this question as to how was that shift, you know, from an extremely opulent, uh, very, very materialistic life for a, you know, a certain part of my life, uh, especially in my marriage, where, you know, my husband wanted to shower with, shower, shower me with a lot of gifts. And I enjoyed it at one point also, but to then shift from that and up it and just come and live in a tent. A lot of people ask me, how was that shift? And for me, my answer is always the same. And it's never changed. I've never had a sliver of a doubt, Raghav. I say, please ask me how I lived in the city for 30 years. My struggle was there. I've always been meant to live like this. I am happiest living like this. I have always... And a, and a, and a, you know, a, a guruji of mine, a, a friend of mine, who recently left his body, always told me, he's like, you are meant to live in a forest puja. That's where your home is. You Your past spiritual self has been in such deep sadhana that coming to the forest and living with animals is the most natural thing you know which is why you've always run to it you've never ever wanted to be in a city so the shift has not been hard for me at all what's been harder is actually you know simple things like if I'm leaving uh, you know true courage is letting go of all your inheritance sentences like that oh but then I'm still sitting on daddy's land no I've still got the privilege of the fact that it's it's family money that I'm, I'm actually really sitting on. Then my dad is not in the most, you know, he's a builder. He's in real estate. So his business is not necessarily ethical on most days, like all real estate businesses are. Uh, then how can I use something that he's giving me? How am I going to take something that family has given me and, you know, do something out of it? So that 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 struggle in the early days was very real because I felt hypocritical. I felt like I was taking family money and, and making a big no. I literally inherited, like, it's not written off to me. It's still owned by family. I just, I work on it. And tomorrow, if my family tells me, leave this piece of land, I will. Because I don't want to lay any ownership on it. But that struggle was really probably my deepest struggle, Raghav. That, you know, how can I disagree with the way my family lives and still use what they only give me? Is Am I not being such a hypocrite? Until somewhere, maybe I've come to terms with it. Maybe I've shut my eyes to it. I don't know. On on days that are hard, I still battle with this one. Uh, But I think about it that, you know, it was lying around the piece of land. I've taken something and done something wonderful out of it. Opened it up to people. It's touching people's lives. Uh, My parents are happy that I do something with it. And I've taken one piece of my family's karmic pie and I'm fixing it. You know, I'm doing some karmic offset uh, for our generational curses to some extent and this sharpening this is this is understanding by reading these big words have come now I've always been doing it <laughs> um,
1: going off in a little bit more specific uh, direction you do a lot of work not only with animals and um, you know the ecosystems at your sanctuary but leading seminars, classes on um, healing, uh, you know, spiritual perspective, and specifically on the philosophy of Sant Kabir. So when in teaching those, particularly the latter, what's a gem or something you've taken out as a, um, maybe an aphorism or some part of his life that you find completely applicable to yours and you actively try to Uh, relate it or build it.
2: So my understanding of Sankabir is very limited you know though we run this distance learning course which is how you and I have met uh, on Sankabir's teachings my role on that course is not really Kabir's work as much as how applicable it is to our life because it can seem lofty right philosophy can be very Unattainable in a daily life. How do you take it and bring it to your everyday story? Uh, So I am far. I mean, you ask me to tell you one Doha of Kabir, I probably won't be able to off the top of my head. I'd need my notes. So that's how limited my knowledge of Kabir, the man or the saint, is. However, uh, the essence of what from that course we we try to you know uh, discuss with our participants or any other any other uh, teacher, or writer, or you know, spiritual guru. I think one thing, especially with Kabir, that has always stayed with me, is is the part where he talks about you know the lane of love is so narrow that either either love can be there, like Hari can be there, or or you can be there. Both of you can't be there, meaning ego and 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 love, right? The story of of just surrendering. So even on my desk, the thing that is written is love over fear. Like it's written almost everywhere at the farm as a reminder to me. Because I keep battling in between operating from a place of love or operating from a place of fear. And on the days that I'm emotionally unstable and on the days that I struggle, I'm operating from a place of fear. That things will not pan out. That, you know, when we were breaking down these staff houses, for example, because it's just happening. I've been so scared for the last three days as to how, how are we going to do this? This is, this is huge. I know that in the next couple of days my shift will happen, where it will come from a place of you know this is all going to pan out now. However, it's it's crippling, it's dysfunctional that fear. And I think one of those things I've learned, and the Hanuman Chalisa is something that's very close to me, not as a religious scripture, but as as a very very powerful teaching. And in that there is this particular you know sub suklahe tumhari sharna tum says all joy is in surrender. When there is such divine guidance, what is to be scared of? So for me, it's, 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 and that is the purpose of my life. And that is something I've learned from a lot of my regressions, a lot of my uh, inner work that I do, that I have been put on this planet, in this body, in this situation, basically to operate from a place of love every day of my life. And, that can be for animals, that can be for other people, that can be for nature, that can be for anything and everything. And I have to keep remembering to operate from that place of love as opposed to give to the fear because I do believe there are only two emotions love and fear. There is, everything else is just, you know, the lack or excess of either. So that's something that's, you know, very integral to how I operate as a human being but also how I try and run ProtectEra's organizational work, but also something that stayed with me through loads of different teachings.
0: That's a perfect
1: segue into our final question, which we ask all our guests. And that is, what is your philosophy of now? Something you feel uh, really is your navigational uh, lens every day, Uh, towards your vision towards your work towards your relationships and something that if people hear it could potentially impact their drive as well
2: I think um, I think it's it's live your life impressing yourself I want to wake up and look in the mirror and be impressed with who I am for myself and that uh, because people are going to judge you anyway you know uh, they will all you will always be the villain in someone else's story. There will always be someone just killing our villain home. Uh, if you spend too much time worrying about, because really our fear comes from how people perceive us, you know that's or what people are going to say about us and uh, what the world will think and how will I operate when I'm you know going back to our where our conversation started, that being different is not necessarily easy. However, Nobody is really the same, is it? Everybody is different. And, and, you know, Jiddu Krishnan said, when you go to a forest, you don't spend time looking at the forest and saying, oh, this tree is tall and this is short and this is bent and this is not. Why do you do that to people? You go and appreciate a forest as it is. And I think that comes into my daily life every day to remind myself that I want to wake up and look in the mirror and impress myself to the best of my ability. And that's a very tall order because I'm extremely critical of myself, uh, which is where I think my struggle is, you know, because I just don't appreciate myself as much as I should, I think, to some extent. But yes, I think the one thing that I would love for our listeners and anybody I speak to is, you know, people are going to judge you anyway. You Live your life impressing yourself, not impressing others. And if, if you can't impress yourself, can you really impress others?
1: Beautiful. Uh, great way to conclude. Uh, thank you for your time and being on the podcast with us. We appreciate, uh, you know, not only you as a friend and a person, but as a um, inspiration.
2: Thank you. It's always wonderful to share, share challenges uh, more than success stories. Thank you for a beautiful, uh, beautiful opportunity. And I look forward to connecting more and more.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Philosophy of Now podcast. For more content and conversations like this, please visit the Roots Media website and keep listening.